Before we get started with the show, I wanted to give you a quick update on our friends Alex Filmworks. That's A-L-I-X and then the word Filmworks with an X. They're a filmmaking team and they're working on their first feature, Dead in the Water. They're crowdfunding it, of course, and now with the help of a grant, the movie is more than halfway funded. And to thank you, the listener, for making this possible, Alex Filmworks has a new offer for you. Eternal Life. A small $25 contribution to Alex Filmworks' new film, Dead in the Water, earns you a vial of actual water from the Fountain of Youth, which is located in, you guessed it, scenic Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. Or every now and then, there's a building. Actually, I've only ever been to Jacksonville once, and it was pretty cool. And uh, I thought I could make fun of it just because it's in Florida, but I just googled Jacksonville to see what it looks like and it looks pretty fucking sweet (laughs) but sweet like unsweetened tea it looks refreshing kind of like the way that now like whenever I see all of a sudden whenever I see like a gold bottle of Pellegrino I'm like (laughs) I don't know when seltzer suddenly became an aphrodisiac but like here I am Anyways, if you donate $25 to Alex Filmworks, uh, you will get a vial of water from the Fountain of Youth. Also, by doing this, you'll be sort of supporting a local indie filmmaker, and that's just a nice thing to do. So visit seedandspark.com today and search Dead in the Water to contribute, and don't forget to follow them at Alex Filmworks on Instagram, A-L-I-X underscore Filmworks with an X. And now, on to the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Listening, more specifically, to the episode that I did not plan to make. Um, The entire month of March, I hope I'm going to get this out by the end of the month, but the entire month of March was supposed to have an episode each week that would comprise a series called The Bailey Binge, and it was going to be sort of an episode about each one of Blake Bailey's biographies leading up to the April 6th release of his massive Philip Roth biography, of which I got an early copy and that I really fell in love with, but I didn't do any of it. I scripted the first two of four, but part of the reason that I didn't end up doing it is because I started writing another novel, um, and it's like a totally fucking... It's, I'll talk about it some other time, but it's, um, that means like, that's the first thing I start working on in the morning, and I'll, I'll work on it pretty much like the duration of the morning, I end up burning through all of the words that I have to dispense just on the novel. So that that sort of constipates the pipeline of the creative pipeline. But the other issue, and I think it's just the more prominent one, is that I'm not feeling it. Something about reading a script, like I keep sitting down to do it. And like I said, I have two of those Bailey binge scripts prepared, but then it just doesn't work. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure why it doesn't work, but I think it's got something to do with this funk that I'm in. Philip Roth wrote a memoir in the late 80s called Patrimony, and it's about, like, his father's kind of disintegration under and and ultimate death as a result of um, a really huge brain tumor. And um, a few years after that, he was being interviewed by someone, and the interviewer was asking about that book, and um, I think she said, like, were you... I think she said, like, were you depressed at the time that you were working on the book or at the time that it came out? He said, no, I wasn't depressed as my father was dying or after he died. I was just incredibly sad. 
And that's kind of where I'm at. I think. I'm not, like, sad. You know, in the Bailey binge, I'm going to be talking about Blake Bailey's biography of the writer John Cheever. And John Cheever, when he died, he left behind this 4,000-page single-spaced diary that he had been keeping for the course of, over the last, like, 40 years of his life. And in his journal, I mean, Cheever... It's weird, he was like so explicit about his sex life and his sort of confused sexuality in that journal. And it, like he lived with his family his whole life, so any of them could have found it and realized that he was like a, a closeted bisexual. Um, he's so open and vulgar about it, yet in the journal it seems he shies away from really discussing his depression explicitly. And so he calls it his cafard, um, which is this, the French word for cockroach which I think is fucking perfect, and I'm going to use it here, not to denote depression, because I, like, I've never been diagnosed with depression, and also, I don't think I'm exuding the symptoms of it, because, like, I spring out of bed every morning, and, like, I hustle over to the coffee shop, and I fucking churn out my thousand words, or whatever it is, and, I was, I was about to say I'm fucking super chipper at work, but actually, like, on Saturday, I did a double at the bar and there were two different occasions where I was assembling someone's cocktail and incidentally that's I've realized like the appropriate verb for making someone's drink I used to say like oh let me pour this person a drink when I was behind the bar but I feel like I'm never pouring drinks anymore everything feels like a fucking assembly like I made my first Long Island on Saturday and holy fucking shit I remember one time I was dating a woman in college and like it didn't work out we were dating for like nine months and it didn't work out and then we kind of had a fling like two summers later. And when we first met up again before hooking up, we went, we met at the Cheesecake Factory and we sat at the bar for a little bit and then we got food at a table. And when we sat at the bar, she ordered <laughs> a Long Island. And then when we went to sit down, she ordered a Long Island, but she wanted a blue one. The blue one has blue curacao, which is kind of a citrus flavor. And if you don't know, a Long Island iced tea, I didn't fucking know this, has, um, it's like a half ounce of gin, a half ounce of vodka, a half ounce of rum, a half ounce of whiskey, and then like two ounces of Coke. Or if it's a blue curacao one, you sub the Coke with blue curacao. And so she came over to my house and like she'd had those two fucking cocktails and like a big cheesecake factory meal. And dude, she had the shits so bad. And obviously she was mortified, but like I just felt really bad for her because I can't imagine what kind of chaos that shit must wreck in your stomach. And at the time that I was assembling this fucking Frankenstein crazy cocktail, and I was getting so frustrated because like I I had to keep darting around the bar like okay, there's the it, I felt like I was on a on an episode of Supermarket Sweep or whatever the hell that show is where everyone's like darting and sweating around a grocery store. That was me behind the bar because normally I never assemble a drink that requires so many goddamn ingredients. I had to keep darting to every corner of the bar to get the, the fuck a fucking certain brand of gin, a certain brand of rum, a certain brand of whiskey, a certain brand of what, all these other things. And as I was making it, I had one customer at the bar. So I was like doing service bar. I was making the cocktails that were going out to the tables. And um, she was a nurse. And she's in her 60s, I think, and she's just visiting. She's from Minnesota, and she's visiting. She's she's working, I think, at Mount Sinai, and she's uh, staying on Brickle. She was a little tipsy, and so she and I were just talking about the, the hospital situation. And uh, I was telling her, like, this fucking drink is driving me crazy. And she was like, yeah, I used to drink those when I was younger. And I was like, why'd you stop? And she goes, I don't know, I guess I just grew up. And I think, you know what that actually reminds me of? I feel like I don't like I don't drink soda anymore. Once upon a time, I drank a shitload of soda, which now I feel like was kind of foreshadowing something. But I find that very few of my peers 
drink soda. And that when, when I go out to lunch or dinner with someone, they order either beer, wine, or just water to go along with the meal. And now when I notice that among my people my age or older, I ask, like, did you give up soda because of health consciousness or, or you know, concern about your teeth or whatever? Or is it that it's suddenly one day, suddenly it just got unbearably sweet? Because that's what happened to me. Like now I can finish a can of Sprite, cannot finish a can of Coke. Another thing that's weird, incidentally, as we're talking about soda is that, and I may have mentioned this before on the podcast, but like I will routinely, to compliment a Cuban sandwich or something, I will routinely get a can of Pepsi but I have never in my life bought a case of Pepsi. I've never bought a 12-pack. I've never bought a six-pack of Pepsi. There is something about it. It's almost like, it's like having a, I don't know. It's like sex with someone who's bad conversation. Like you can do it now and then, but really only once. You know, I think, I wonder, like I've, I've come home and gone to bed with people who were not particularly ravishing in, in, in dialogue, but like one time, I was, uh, this is graphic. Uh, I know my mom is probably listening. But, um, so I came home with this person that I know. I knew kind of casually. And, um, so we're doing our thing and then the act is done. And she's, like, super religious. And not super religious in terms of, like, she's wearing a crucifix around her neck and doesn't use profanity or whether. I mean, obviously she's doing a one-night stand, so she's not, like, super beholden to, like, rigid Christian, you know, fucking behavior or whatever but um she's very observant pri in her own private you know modest way and so she like surprised me when she like roll onto her side and she starts admiring herself and she she grabs her thighs and she goes i feel kind of thick and i was like no you look great and she was like no like thick with two c's <laughs> and she was like this this blonde sort of midwestern christian girl and she's just it was sort of cool i guess that she's just like looking at her body and really digging it and she was like just she was really feeling herself i guess that's a sign that you just had good sex right when you feel like because i feel like if it was bad <laughs> she would have either like just left immediately or i don't know but like hey she just hung out and sort of was like i feel good about myself that was cool I guess, looking back, what was it? What are we talking about? I have notes here. Like, normally I'm reading from a script. I don't know if you can tell. I'm not reading from a script right now. But yeah, we're talking about soda. Um, oh yeah, the Long Island iced tea. That wasn't even part of the story. Um, I was t just, I'm not as energetic a, a, at work l these past couple shifts as I have been in the past. And the reason I know it is because, like, I didn't even feel it particularly during my shift, but I had two colleagues point out to me on two different occasions, like, hey, Alex, don't hurt yourself. Basically, because I was moving so slow. But yeah, I've got energy um, for the most part. So I feel, that's why I feel like it's not depression. Because I've got energy. I'm like getting a lot of reading and writing done. But I think I'm just burned from these fucking two jobs, like working every single day. And um, I mean, it's it's nice and it's chiseling slowly away at my debt, which is not monumental. It's not five figures. It's not even... I think it's I I don't know why I'm so coy about these things like numbers and shit like you guys can get a situation you know I was just fucking one of my favorite regulars is an older guy he's 55 I know actually and he's very wealthy and he lives in a big condo like within walking distance of the restaurant and he'll come in and he'll have like four four glasses of scotch in a row and it does nothing to alter his behavior um it's pretty remarkable, but he's great conversation. But as I mentioned, he's very wealthy. And so when he talks about things like, you know, financial security, setting, preparing for your future, investing in the stock market, things like that, which is a topic that's come up with weird frequency between us. But he says like, 
oh, you know, you, you find a stock, it's kind of risky, whatever, you know, you throw two grand at it, three grand at it, and then he shrugs, and then I shrug. I shrug as though $3,000 is not a big fucking deal to me. <laughs> I shrug as though I have ever casually possessed three grand in my checking account. I have not. Um, but I was thinking, like, I don't want to tell him that. I don't want him to feel bad about the fact, like, I, I've, I've, it's a part of the voyeuristic thrill of being a bartender is that people are, like, totally loose-lipped and unbidden, and that you... You get a sense for how different people feel. But I was thinking, like, I, there is an argument to be made that if you are very, very wealthy, you should know that by, like, my, the very fact that I'm on the other side of the bar from you is evidence that I don't have that much money. <laughs> and, like, I could see the argument where someone is like, yo, he should keep that to himself and not talk that way. But um, I would feel really bad if he were inhibited. And he didn't tell me those kinds of things. He really is my favorite bartender. He's super cool. Uh, my super bar my, my, he's my favorite regular. He's, he's, he's really cool. But yeah, you know, so it's some... Part of it is me being burned out from work. But another thing that's thrown me for a loop is just like a feeling of isolation. Like not be, not talking to people. And it isn't... There are a lot of bartenders and baristas with whom I'm friendly and I have good conversation. I enjoy their company and I respect them. But it's just the conversation is just like too casual. Um, obviously, it's just not you know, they're tending to other people, the conversation is constantly getting disrupted, which is not a, an issue, it just, it keeps you from penetrating to a certain level. And, um, like, the other night I was at Red Bar, and I was talking with one of the bartenders, whom I adore, he's a wonderful guy, I, I really enjoy talking to him, but we talked for, like, 20 minutes about Phil Collins, the musician, the musician Phil Collins, and dude, I don't know a fucking thing about Phil Collins. Not a thing. All I know is that, I mean, like, I don't, I mean, literally nothing, and, but I somehow, you know, I just pranced and I did the gestures and I, and I was able to sustain this 20-minute conversation. It probably wasn't 20 minutes, but it was a long fucking time to be talking about something I don't give a broken fuck about. The only thing I know about Phil Collins is that I would readily put all of my assets into a dowry to try to win the affection of his daughter, Lily. Lily Collins, <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen her, I think, she's, I think she's the star of the show Emily in Paris on Netflix, but she is almost... Like, the caliber of beauty that makes me not want to look in her direction. I don't know if you ever feel that... I feel this way all the time about, like, intensely beautiful people. Like, I was never really smitten growing up by, like, Pamela Anderson or, like, Carmen Electra or any of the American sort of female sex icons. Dude, you know who enchants me, though? Fucking... And by saying that she enchants me and by having just said that, like like extreme beauty kind of turns me away i don't mean to imply that this woman is not herself extremely beautiful she's, she's just got a, like a very pronounced personality that i don't want to it's what the person i'm talking about is lord um i'm referring to the lord the musician from new zealand not the jewish carpenter i think her name is isla something um but I think, I think she is so fucking funny and genuine, and I like her music, obviously. But also, she's got, like, these, these really big eyes that are super striking. And I feel like, I don't know if you've ever seen her with her hair down, but, like, I feel like if she, sh at any given moment of the day, if Lord shook her head really hard, heavy things would fall out of her hair. And she's got, like, this tremendous wingspan of, like, fucking crazy brown curls. It's a fucking mane. I love it. Anyways, I was talking about being too bummed to do a podcast, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to appropriate the John Cheever moniker and call this, this funk of mine, my kafad, my kafad. Um, that's how the Google translate does it. Kafad. Call it my cockroach. Dude, cock, dude, this morning, 
and this okay so i had like a small this will this might belie what i was just telling you about this sort of emotional situation not being that severe but i woke up at like 4 a.m having something of a panic attack uh, that was today, this morning. And um, so I'm like pacing the apartment, I'm drinking water, and like my stomach is upset because I ate too much pizza last night. And I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. And I was like, okay, let me go take a shower. Because I've got this new thing. Fucking taking showers in the dark. I don't know if you can do this. Like, the reason I can do it is because I live in one of those apartment complexes where it's like an outdoor complex. So everyone's bathroom has one of those frosted glass windows, it, like in the shower, it's like a very tiny window. Like if you wanted to burgle my home, you would find your skinniest friend and sort of give her a boost through that window. So, and it's very soothing to me, it's a weird thing, but that, like fucking showering in the dark is my fucking jam now. It's super relaxing. And so I go in there, I go in, I get naked and I turn off the light and I go into the shower and I start running the water. Now, as I said, there is the, it has the, that little frosted window in, in, against the far wall of the shower. So the water's running, and I see on the ledge, in you know, sort of the blend of like moonlight and street lamp light, I see sort of a thin silvery glow on that ledge where I keep my soap and my shampoo. There is a cockroach, and the cockroach is on its back. And it is in its death throes. You know, like when they when a cockroach is kind of like pawing at the clouds with it, with all of its legs and it's on its back. And you can tell like, okay, this is it. Like it ate something or it found some poison, whatever. It's dying. And um, I hate roaches. Terrified of roaches. Probably shouldn't mention that because whenever I mention that, someone sends me pictures. Um, so anyways, I see this roach and I'm like, fuck. Shit. Because I'm already having a kind of a panic attack. So... I'm like, okay, I need to just not look at this roach, which is already dying. So I pick up my shampoo, head and shoulders, because I have a dandruff problem, and I poise the bottle over the roach, and I squeeze. And fucking shampoo falls down on the roach and completely covers it. Turns out, the roach is not dying. Turns out, that roach is just fucking chilling. He was just laying on his back, stretching his legs, fucking digging the moonlight and the fact that no one was awake in the apartment at 4 a.m. And so I cover him in shampoo and he's fucking pissed. Um, I don't know if we can attribute temperamental characteristics to like a cockroach, but I think this fucking dude was pissed. Got up, started zigzag zigzag. Fucking Bill Cosby should have narrated automatically the movements of this fucking cockroach because it was zip zag zigzag all over the fucking shower. And mind you, it's fucking dark in the bathroom, and I'm naked, and I'm already panicked, and the shower's running, and I'm like, I'm freaking out me while this cockroach, looking like a fucking yogurt-covered raisin, is darting around the bathroom, and then fucking, I lose it. I lose the roach. I, can't, I don't lose my mind. I lose the roach. I cannot find it afterwards, because even though it was coated in shampoo, it left no trail. I have no idea how that happened. So now, I'm concerned that it's got like a vendetta against me and it's gonna pop up next to my bed tonight looking fucking fresh shampooed it's it's antennae quaffed back and in, in, into like a pompadour um anyways Kafad. if a scripted podcast is the only kind of podcast i insist on doing then i'm not gonna have any episodes up for a while because i don't know when i'm gonna fucking get my head out of my ass and so for the past 10 days or so i've just accumulated a few scattered riffs recorded on my phone while driving home from work or, or doing random things, and 
those are the thing, those are the little sound things that are going to comprise this episode. The next, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour are going to be particularly rambly, but you know, maybe that's a good, maybe that's a reprieve. Anyways, thanks for hanging around and for indulging me in a, in a weird and um, sort of rambly episode. Um, and thanks to those of you who have like a real sixth sense about this thing and who have reached out over the past couple weeks just to like say nice things. I think particularly it was in response to the last episode, which was so fucking weird um that i think a lot of people were like <laughs> let me see how he's doing <laughs> um special thanks by the way to laura b who shot a donation to the show my way and the exact 25 dollar amount of the show's monthly hosting fee on soundcloud um thanks also to matthew who's reading the blog a lot and who wrote in through the website to sort of like check in on me and to say that he's in a similar funk and so we've been exchanged we've become pen pals um Thanks to Alyssa, as always. One of the handful of listeners who's always chiming in. Ludmila, thank you to you. Um, thank you to Maria in Jacksonville. And to Macaulay Culkin. Uh, Macaulay Macaroni Culkin. Uh, with her abruptly muscular arms. Who Skyped me from a pile of animals on a day when I was feeling particularly shitty. Um, I've found that even though this podcast is not like an enormous thing. I do have a very... You guys are, are make up a very, like, fucking tight audience, and you're very friendly, and, um, yeah, it's been nice to see, like, when I was in a dire financial situation, I think in September, I asked for donations, and, like, a fucking bunch of you fucking threw money my way, and then, I guess, it was, like, ten days ago or so that I did this podcast, and I was like, dude, I'm not feeling good, <laughs> and a bunch of people, a bunch of you guys who listen, like, got in touch with me, and you're like, hey, man, how you doing? It was cool, man. I really appreciated it. It made me feel good, but anyways, enough preamble. On to the show. This fucking restaurant is so unpredictable. Last Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I worked the evening shift, but I made like $130. And then the one, the Tuesday prior to that, I worked behind the bar at the, in the, during the evening, and I made like $29. Not only that, I made $29, and then I walked outside and I had a $36 ticket. And you would think a $36 ticket, it's like, oh, could, you know, they caught me like fucking someone's tailpipe. But no. That's just what it is now in all of Miami-Dade County. Um, it, what used to be, up until 2019, an $18 ticket for like, you know, not even an offense, just like staying in your space longer than you paid for. It was $18 and then suddenly it's fucking 36. And um, I saw that Alex Filmworks, what I was, um, they, A-L-I-X Filmworks, that I was promoting in the beginning of this episode and the previous one, um, they're trying to crowdfund their, their first feature film and they got a grant and the grant catapulted them to like 50% of their goal. They are a married couple. My friend Allie and her husband Alex and um, their filmmaking team as well. I remember when I like, when I first met her, she was like, oh, my husband's name is Alex. <laughs> and I was like, everyone's husband is named Alex or everyone, I feel, oh, there's so many fucking Alexes. Some, I asked a barista recently, like what's the most common name that you guys get? And she said, Juan, John, and Alex. And Juan, I understand. I know a lot of Juans. I don't know any Johns. And I've, I, well, I'm sure I know some. I know of many. I don't think, I, I maintain I've never in my life met someone named Martin. I feel, and I, dude, whenever I go out on dates, people <laughs> are always compelled to be like, oh, you know, my ex's name is Alex. And I'm like, cool. I, I, I look forward to not knowing whose name you're shouting in bed. Just kidding, we never make it there. There's a booktuber, if you're not familiar with booktube, it's just, that's just what they call the, the bookish corner of YouTube. And there's a dude, I'd say he's in his early 50s, and he makes 
He's, he's Canadian, and he makes... Oh, I'm driving my car, and it's still kind of raining. He makes videos where he just kind of talks at the camera very eloquently about books and shit. He's good-humored, irreverent, smart, compassionate guy. I think he's a dad, but he, he's taken a break from BookTube, and he did... Fuck, I gotta, I'm gonna put his channel name in the, in the liner notes, if that's what you... Fuck me. But he just made this video about being, like, kind of burned out from just screens like technology zoom in particular and he's like i gotta take a break from this shit because i'm getting like seasonal depression because he was saying like one of the things that would buoy his spirits and and those of his wife is that throughout the quarantine they would like take these walks these very nice scenic walks but now he's in fucking canada and it's winter time and they can't do those walks and i had been thinking like this dude's married, so that must make quarantine, like, really fucking easy. Or not easy, but easier. <laughs> and, um, but no, I guess maybe, like, if you've got a touch of depression as a, as a result of all the confinement and, the, and also the weather, and then your partner has a touch of the depression, maybe your mutual depression kind of feeds off of each other. I'm sure it's different for everybody, but it occurred to me that that might really be a way more stressful situation. Also, I pay, like five bucks a month and i would recommend it i'm for the i'm a member of that kevin smith club and kevin smith is a filmmaker mostly a podcaster basically at this point he does a show with his wife called just called plus one and um they just sit in his den and talk shit about usually like the shows that they're watching and like anecdotes about what's going on in their daily life and i have to say first of all like he's a great speaker she's a great speaker they're both really funny and bubbly and um also he's always incredibly stoned during these so because they're naturally charismatic it's a good show but it's also like I'm like, how, why am I so <laughs> engaged by the fucking minutiae of these people's domestic lives? And I wonder, if, is it because I'm naturally curious about people? Or is it is it their charisma? I don't know. There was a, I was listening to a Paul Oster interview recently, and he quoted someone, I forget who, maybe it's just an adage, but like, good stories happen to those who can tell them. And, um, which I think is very true. Because I know, I've, like, I've met former cops, and they will tell you a story about a shootout that they had and it is the most mundane sounding fucking monotonous thing because they can't tell a story meanwhile I, I know other people who can tell you a story about like being in traffic or like having to get a leaky bottle up two flights of stairs and they turn it into a 30 minute saga and it's fucking riveting oh my god okay what i was gonna oh, fuck all right remind all right i can't say remind me we're not talking um about storytelling and going on too long so but i was listening to kevin smith's thing with his wife and every now and then, <clears throat> they start bickering. And, you know, she has kind of suggested that their bickering is a bit of a performance on his end. And you can kind of tell it flashes in the episodes that he is kind of putting on a show. They seem like the rare couple that's been drawn together by quarantine. And they watch a bunch of shit together. And she talks about making concessions about what they'll watch because she wants to keep him in the room and, and shit like that. Like, they're really digging it it's really working for them i imagine also it's because they have like this fucking palatial house and they can sort of get away from each other if need be whereas if i were living with a significant other it would have to be in a fucking tiny ass little havana apartment or i get like if i you know i don't know hooked up with someone who was like really fucking rich and she was like hey man i'm gonna float you um you know it's so fucking antiquated and patriarchal probably but I don't think my pride would allow that. I don't know. Like, if I've met and, like, really seriously hit it off with somebody who just happened to be of, like, tremendous means, and she, like, really believed in my shit, and she was like, you know what? 
quit the fucking bartending thing or I don't know or just reduce it work two days a week and just write and I will like pay our bills and shit and you know I don't know if I would be able to do that um I you know who did that fucking Dean Koontz who is now like one of the highest earning authors of all time and there's a fucking video on YouTube where they do a tour of his house and holy jumping fucking Jesus that house is enormous it's got a full movie theater a lot of people talk about like oh my home theater he he has a movie theater. He has a there is a marquee over the doors to his movie theater. He lives on the edge of a cliff in California. It's fucking insane. But if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's like fucking Dean Koontz's wife was like, "Hey, I'm a school teacher. I love being a school teacher, so I'm gonna be a school teacher for two years, and I'm gonna sort of bend over backwards, do every every little thing a teacher could do to scrape some extra money together, and you just write. And if at the end of two years you haven't published anything," You don't have to give up the writing, but you got to get a fucking full-time job. And, um, like, that's the sweetest shit ever. Now, obviously, I think it was, like, right at the end of the second year that he ended up, like, not, I don't know if he really hit it big, but he got his foot in the door. He published something. Um, but I don't know if my pride would allow that, man. I really hate the idea of being, you know what? I, this has happened with, um, I know Bob and Linda are now, like, totally fine in, in, in terms of their employment, but they each this weird f- thing of fate I guess it's technically good fortune like there was a two year stretch where one was employed and then the other was not one was a sole breadwinner and then the other was not um, and they never really had a problem with it I don't think like I don't think any of them got sort of gender bended about it if that's if that makes sense oh dude what the fuck Okay, I had to cut that recording off because I uh, was pulling into my apartment and there was someone parked in my space and I had to, I had to go set them straight. Actually, I just had to go gently ask them to please get out of my space. But but I had mentioned earlier and I was gonna come back to this thing of like talking for too long. And um, when I was younger, I used to love like telling really long jokes. Like I would read like a paragraph long joke on the internet and then I would make it like ten minutes long. And I still like to do that. Um, the sha- I think it's called the Shaggy Dog Story. Um, that's Jerry. Oh, I said Shaggy Dog and he shook. But yeah, part of the reason I've been, I've been like neglecting the blog and the podcast lately is because I'm working on another novel and it just, it was something that I had like thought about when I was in middle school and there was such, such a weird trajectory to this because like I came up with the idea when I was in middle school and it's, it's this basic premise it just involves somebody like renting a cabin somewhere. I got caught up in like I don't know how adults rent cabins. How does one rent a cabin? What are the processes? And I thought like, you know, in order for this book to be authentic or short story, maybe this is what it would have been. I was going to have to like give a detailed accounting of how somebody rents a cabin. And so I tried it again in college and I was like, well, now I know how people rent cabins. Like I know how that's done because I have friends who are doing it and I've been propositioned to do it myself. Now I know how to do it. So I took a stab at writing it and like it didn't work out. Now... I'm in, I'm like 29 and I'm like, not only do I know how people rent cabins, I know all the paperwork and shit you got to go through. I also know that you should never write a long scene in which someone rents a cabin. (laughs) So there's been, there's been an arc. Back at my desk with the proper microphone. I recorded that introduction that you were hearing, I don't know, I think it was like 20 minutes. But um, at the beginning, I recorded that introduction and then, like, I piled all these rambling audio files off of my phone onto the sound editor. And I've been going through them and, like, 
there's just no fucking way <laughs> that they warrant an hour of attention. Like, I don't think you can listen to a straight hour of this. So, um, I've been going through them and, uh, cleaning them up, but like, I've got a small script for the next episode I can use as an introduction, and then I will tag more rambling stuff to the end of it. Although, maybe by then, I'm starting to feel like I'm coming out of my funk, whatever it was, uh, my kaffa. So maybe I'll just be back, I'll just like hop into doing the Bailey binge that I was supposed to do. But I'm going to sign off now with two requests. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, I hope you will go and follow Alex Filmworks on Instagram. That's A-L-I-X Filmworks. Or if you follow me on Instagram, just go to the people that I'm following and type in A-L-I-X. I promise that the content they're posting is genuinely interesting, and you're going to watch a feature-length film take shape from scratch. Second request is that if you like the show, you go to Apple Podcasts and give it a review. The more five-star reviews that there are, the more exposure the show will get. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Uh